I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. I'm taking the taboos of menopause and perimenopause and bringing light to the dark. No bullshit, no shame. It's time for us to gain a new paradigm in female health, out with the old and in with the new, and I'm bringing fresh perspectives from someone in the arena. I've been practicing women's health for nearly 20 years, and I'm spilling the tea and what it means to live at midlife, knowing that the best is yet to come. I'm sharing my Gen X approach to living through this transition, sassy, a bit sweary, and always honest. Tactical tips and instantly usable information is my aim. I hope to make you laugh and that you learn something new that helps you embrace the change. Together, we bring power to the Perry. Onward to the podcast. Hey, hey, Dr. Fiona Lovely here, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast, and I have such a fun conversation to share with you today. Recently, I had the pleasure of interviewing Jennifer Chesick, who wrote a book called The Psilocybin Handbook for Women. Now, if you don't know what psilocybin is, it is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. So I am going to be talking to you today about psilocybin and how it can work well for women. Now, she and I had a really interesting conversation and I have, um, this is a bit of a passion project for me. I like to learn about how we can expand the frontiers of our brain and our function. And it turns out that there is actually a role for psychedelics in that. There's lots of really interesting research that's going on in the United States and around the world, actually. Johns Hopkins in the U.S. are the ones that are um, spearheading that, if you will. And just fascinating, fascinating research. So, um, I want you to try to disconnect the part of your brain right now that's making this about, oh, that's a drug I need to avoid. I want you to think about the plant medicine involved here. Uh, it is my belief that we have plants on this planet that we have evolved alongside as human beings. The plants have evolved, we have evolved, and that we have a role for each other. And there's a really interesting conversation to be had about that, about Mother Earth and uh, the plant medicine that she bears. And it was part of our conversation, uh, me and Jennifer Chesick, and we really wanted to talk about um, the 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 ability of the mushrooms to expand the mind. So it turns out mushrooms can change our beliefs um, and we get sort of clamped down. And this is especially true at midlife on these stories and experiences that we have had. And so with that, the psilocybin acts to allow us to disconnect from the ego for a period of time and just experience the moment. And I think that is really powerful medicine. Uh, I have experienced it myself. I think it was extraordinary to my own evolution. And um, so I want to talk about it. And that's why I brought Jennifer onto the show. So she and I talked about kindness 
and compassion for the caregiver that can come through the experience of psilocybin. Now, keep in mind, there's different dosages you can do with psilocybin, and I encourage you to speak to somebody locally that can help you with this. But um, the microdose experience is like a tenth of a recreational dose. And then there's the recreational dose. And then there's the hero dose. And then there was something that she referred to as a museum dose, (laughs) which I'd never heard before. So please listen in for that information. But one of my favorite moments was when Jennifer talked about the oceanic boundlessness that happens when you are having a psilocybin experience. Listen for that moment to come in. Anyways, we talked about the entourage effect, which again plays into this plant medicine ideal, etc. We talked about how at perimenopause, women who have had ACEs or um, adverse childhood experiences, there's a whole body of research that's been done on ACEs, um, women who have had adverse childhood experiences have increased menopausal and perimenopausal symptoms. Fascinating, right? And that the psilocybin gives us a door into allowing that trauma to drop away. And that's probably one of my favorite things about this conversation about the psilocybin conversation is that it allows us a way in to a different way of thinking without having to spend 25 years in therapy reliving every miserable moment of of our lifetime. So there is the potential for that. Very, very cool. It was a great conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I do. Please allow me to read the bio for Jennifer Chesick. Jen Chesick is the author of the Psilocybin Handbook for Women. She's an award-winning freelance science and medical journalist, editor, and fact checker. And her work has appeared in several national publications, including the Washington Post. Chesick earned her Master of Science in Journalism, from Northwestern University's Medill. She currently teaches in the journalism and publishing programs at Belmont University, leads various workshops at the literary nonprofit The Porch, and serves as the managing editor for the literary magazine Shift. Find her work at jenniferchesick.com and follow her on socials at Jen Chesick. I really can't wait to hear what you guys think of this conversation. I loved it from one end to the other. Thank you for listening as always. And before we get to the interview, let's just take a moment for our sponsors. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every day in the morning to break my fast. It makes me feel like I'm doing something good for my body, that I'm covering my nutritional bases. This simple daily habit allows me to cover those nutritional bases no matter what the day brings. Oh my gosh, because we never know what the day is going to bring. AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health, replacing your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. That's drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. You can find the link in the show notes. Check it out. 
Welcome to the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and I'm thrilled today to have author and journalist Jennifer Chesick on the podcast with us. And Hamish has just joined us, which is one of my cats. <laughs> he wants to have the mushroom chat too, Jennifer. <laughs> Absolutely. Happy thank to you talk for- to cats. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. By the way, I love the name of your podcast and I have a funny story for you. If you don't mind me sharing really briefly Please. when I was um, in, I guess I was in middle school and I was taking like a creative writing class. We had to write a commercial and um, I I titled the commercial, not your father's tampon. <laughs> I got in so love much it. trouble. <laughs> So I just love your, uh, the name of your, your So thing. what you're saying was you're a shit disturber right from the beginning. Yeah. Right from the beginning. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> well, fantastic. I am holding up your amazing book called the psilocybin handbook for women. And so we're having a conversation today about the active ingredient magic mushrooms. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm thrilled. So this is a topic I am personally very interested in. I have, uh, I'm sort of a neophyte psychonaut, if you will. So dabbling, but I do uh, talk to my uh, patients in clinic about psilocybin and the effects of psilocybin on the body and how we can actually use them uh, for health, if you will. So if you'd allow me, I'd like to start with a short quote from page 40 of the book. Absolutely. Great. Okay. So talking about magic mushrooms, Jennifer says, psilocybin may help you process trauma in new ways, disrupt negative thought patterns, experience memories in a new light, access remote memories, transcend the boundary of time, feel more creative, feel more connected to others or the world at large, and gain a larger sense of empathy. I love it. So tell us, how did you find yourself writing a book about magic mushrooms? Uh, Quite by happy accident. So uh, it was just a weird connection that I had with the publisher. And um, I had been writing about women's health. I'm a health and science medical journalist, um, been doing that for years and years, really focused on women's health. And then in recent years, with the resurgence of research on psychedelics, I've started writing about psychedelics in the journalism space as well. So it it was a natural fit to merge the two for myself. But the idea came from my publisher. And then I just kind of got to run with it in terms of what content went in the book and everything. But I was really super excited to start writing about this topic because um, when I when I dug into the research, something that surprised me was that in many cases, more women are using some psychedelics more frequently than men. So that came as a surprise. But as I dug a little deeper, um, it, this wasn't a surprise. So while men tend to use psychedelics a little bit more recreationally, women are using psychedelics to self-treat. And they're self-treating for conditions like PTSD, other forms of trauma, anxiety, depression, chronic pain, issues related to the menstrual cycle. And that wasn't a surprise simply because 
you know, we know that women are more likely to get gaslit at the doctor's office for the, these very conditions or disproportionately affected by all of these conditions, yet they're, yet they're gaslit at the doctor's office and they're just not getting adequate treatment in the mainstream medical system. And that's not a dig. I mean, it's kind of a dig at the mainstream medical system, but I am not against science and medicine is my point. I'm, I'm you know, staunch. Um, yeah, I'm very pa staunchly passionate about science as a medical journalist. I just get frustrated when, when there's not equal or adequate care for people across all gender spectrums. Oh, please share your anger about that. Because on this <laughs> podcast, we talk about how the system has failed us. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm really frustrated by it because I, I personally have endometriosis and that affects one in 10 people assigned female at birth. In rare cases, it can affect the male body, but largely it's a condition that affects the female body. And uh, so that's 10% of, of women uh, in the U.S. have endometriosis. And um, yet the National Institutes of Health designated less than 0.1% of its research funding studying endometriosis in 2022. And if we go back to that 10% stat, that's the same number of people that have like type, type two diabetes in this country. We study diabetes, we did, and we research, we fund that research. We're just not doing it for endometriosis because it's a quote unquote female condition. And so that's really frustrating. And then I always, as part of this conversation to get everyone fired up and start raging about this is that in, so women were largely excluded from early stage clinical trials until 1993, which feels like yesterday. Like I was okay, maybe not. I yesterday. remember I 1993. Teenager. <laughs> teenager. But, yes. but that's really frustrating to me. And that's had dramatic ramifications for women's health. And to illustrate that, I like to share this timeline. In, in 1998, men got a drug for male sexual dysfunction. And, and everyone knows what that is. It's a household name. It's Viagra. And, yes. you know, I always, I always I'm always like, let's say it together when I'm doing talks like and everyone shouts Viagra. But, um, but it in at that point in time, we didn't even have an adequate picture of what the clitoris looks like. So there's all I, this internal isn't that structure. Absurd. So absurd. <laughs> didn't happen until 2005 and that one didn't really feel like yesterday and then um so a female urologist finally did some mri researching and determined this then if we fast forward to 2015 that's when women finally got a drug for female sexual dysfunction so that is a 17 year gap from when dudes got a drug to when women got a drug for the exact same condition yes sexual dysfunction affects the female body and the male body differently and vastly differently from person to person but it's still the same condition. It was just prioritized as a treat, like a treatment for men was prioritized, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we, we know <laughs> that there's a health gap. Actually, there's a fascinating yeah. article this morning in Forbes magazine that talks about the gender health gap and uh -huh. how, yes. Did you, did you happen to catch it this morning? No, but I will look it up. Please do. It talks okay. about how it can increase the GDP of the United States by a trillion dollars if women are actually able to maintain work, et cetera, and contribute to society instead of having this massive health decline that can happen when we have that hormonal transition at yeah, midlife. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for contributing to the body of work uh, around this because, you know, anything that is a, a ripple uh, effect, I think, for women's health is is helpful. And I am, as a clinician, amazed at how many times I am asked if I know anything about magic mushrooms and would they help? 
Sure, absolutely. It's such a hot topic right now and everyone's it, excited about it. It is. It really is. So let's dig into that. Like why okay. would a woman want to take magic mushrooms to get the effects of psilocybin? Yeah, I think it helps to start just by talking through some of the science about what actually happens in the brain and the body when we are on psilocybin. And that oh, helps yes, people please. sort of understand <laughs> like why is this even effective? Why are we getting all yeah. this amazing research and stuff? So um, so in a nutshell, researchers have come up with a, uh, a model to sort of explain what, what psychedelics do in the brain. And it's called the, um, the Rebus model, and that stands for Relaxed Beliefs Under Psychedelics. And this was created by Dr. Robin Carhart-Harris and Dr. Carl J. Friston. I always just like to give credit where credit is due. But I love this model because it really helps us understand what's actually happening and why it can be, why psychedelics can be beneficial. So in uh, when we're young, our brains are super flexible. And that's because we haven't really formulated our beliefs about ourselves or how the world around us operates. So we're still formulating that. So we're really malleable in our brains. Now, fast forward to adulthood and that over time, those belief patterns become really rigid. So we get solidified in our identity, even though it's, it's constantly changing, we still get pretty solidified in, in it. And especially with negative beliefs. And then, um, you know, we we can have trouble sort of changing our mind. So in, in a normal state of consciousness in adulthood, we can think of our brains as almost like this frozen pond. And if you were to try to take a new belief, let's try, say you're trying to change like a negative belief about yourself. And if that new belief that you're trying to add into your brain is like a rock and you drop it on a frozen pond, nothing happens. It just goes, thunk, you know. And, um, but if we are on a psychedelic, then this is where the relaxed beliefs under psychedelics come in. That pond, instead of being frozen, is thawed. So now we actually just have water. Take a rock in the form of a new belief, drop it in, it gains entry and causes a ripple effect. And so we actually have a chance to really change our minds on a psychedelic about, especially about ourselves, but also negative beliefs about anything really, which is really cool. And why does this happen? So researchers describe, um, that we have like our, our belief systems end up forming this hierarchy. And so we can think of that as if almost like a seat, the structure of a, of a corporation at the top, you've got your CEOs at the bottom, you've got your like your employees who are sort of lower on the ladder. Right. And the CEOs of a corporation don't always want to listen to the beliefs that are at the bottom. I mean, the, the employees that are at the bottom of the ladder, and we can think of those as beliefs. So there's this hierarchy and those CEOs, CEO beliefs can become really domineering. And if they're negative beliefs, then it's a really, it can be a really big problem. So it could be an issue. When we are on a psychedelic, it's like that hierarchy completely gets relaxed. And so the everyone's equal, all the employee beliefs are, are equal. And so the lesser, uh, the, the, the employees that are sort of lower on the ladder can kind of kind of gain a footing there in their, in the belief corporation structure, which is really cool to think about. Um, and then a couple of other concepts related to what happens in the brain um, can be really, I think, really helpful in understanding what what some of those things that you were describing in the quote that you shared, like, why are all these things possible? The other really cool concept that I love is called the helioscope effect. So um, a helioscope is an instrument that scientists use to look at the sun. So unrelated to psychedelics, but um, Dr. Gregor Hassler, he's a also a prolific psychedelic researcher. He came up with this model to describe how he, how uh, how we can view our trauma 
when we're on a psychedelic and view it from a safe distance. So a helioscope, again, is this instrument that scientists use to look at the sun. And it, you know, puts a protective filter on because we're not supposed to look directly at the sun. Well, we can think of our trauma in the same way in a normal state of consciousness in our everyday lives, we avoid thinking about our traumas because they're so triggering and they cause anxiety and fear and stress and frustration. And so um, when we are on a psychedelic, it's almost like we have that helioscope effect in place. We can actually view our traumas from a, from a new, through a filter, from a new lens and look at them safely without getting triggered. So, um, so you can, you know, view something that's very difficult and not get triggered by it. And, uh, and then we can reprocess it. And then when you're no longer on the psychedelic, that reprocessing can, can continue to happen. And so we can look at our traumas in a new way after the fact. So um, it's just a really cool concept to sort of share uh, why these psychedelics might work. Wow. I mean, <laughs> the applicability of that, you know, the thing I find myself talking about most right now, it's so interesting in clinic. I never know what the trends are going to be and it changes all the time, but this one stuck around for the while and people are talking about trauma. <laughs> And for women, uh, as I was saying to a patient yesterday, she was reliving a story for me. I said, you know, we have all these, we may have a big T trauma. Absolutely. There are lots of women with that experience, but I'm not sure spending 25 years talking about it in therapy is re really resolves things. And um, even though I love my therapist, I love that work, that body of work, so many helpful tools, but Absolutely. when it comes to trauma, are, is there a better way? Is there a more efficient way? And um, I personally love how psychedelics have the ability to sort of um, give us that extra filter, that, that different lens, that different vantage point is how I like yeah. to think of it. Like we can look at the experience if, if it comes up, if we choose to, and we can see it in a different way. And, um, what a beautiful thing. And, and as you were talking, I was reminded of the Netflix documentary and the book called how to change your mind. And change your mind. Yeah. Yes. We're talking about Michael Pollan, who's like mm -hmm. the, the guy that wrote essentially not quite the first book, but probably the first popular book about yes. psychedelics, um, and, and how a wonderful book. I love it. Um, and he's great too. Um, but, uh, you know, it's that whole, how can we get a different perspective on the experience? And I think this is, you know, this is the default mode network in the brain. We do talk mm -hmm. about that in the podcast. So my listeners are familiar with the concept. Oh, good. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So go ahead and talk neuro. It's just fine. <laughs> yeah, good. I could talk about the default mode network briefly. There's well, really yes. Cool and and what i what i want to say about it is this is ultimately here in canada we have health canada approval to use psilocybin for terminal cancer sure so the question is why indeed is psilocybin used for terminal cancer and my understanding is that it takes away the fear of dying can you talk about that a little bit yeah, yeah, it is. It is a really cool concept. So yes, I do see that we're seeing a lot of potential with psilocybin for end of life care in terms of helping ease that transition for people. And, um, you know, I think it can also be beneficial for caregivers as well, because when we're dealing with grief or facing grief that's coming, it can help us look at grief in a different way. Um, but yeah, essentially, what I think psilocybin helps do is 
um, it helps us feel a little bit more connected to something bigger than ourselves. You know, we're so focused on um, ourselves in everyday life. And that doesn't mean we're selfish. It's just the way that we are as humans. Yes, we, we have connections and stuff, but we still ultimately have to focus on ourselves first. And psilocybin does something really cool um, with, we were just talking about the default mode network. So I'll explain that because it helps explain all of this. So um, the we have in our brain something called the default mode network, which many of you are familiar with. And this is a network of brain regions that work together to form our sense of self. It's also very concerned with our empathy and our autobiographical memories, all of these things. And um, it when we are using psilocybin, parts of the default mode network that normally connect will disconnect and parts that, um, that don't normally connect will connect. So it's like taking that outlet that we all have in our house, houses with like the power strip and we unplug a bunch of cords and plug them back in in a different way, just temporarily. But this has some really cool beneficial effects. A, a common term that people talk about in psychedelics is something called ego death. So ego death can sound really scary uh, because it sounds like you're losing, completely losing your sense of self. But on a, like on a macro dose of about 3.5 grams, you're just going to have some really beneficial effects of ego death, meaning that instead of really being so focused on yourself, you get this greater sense of connection to the universe at large, to, um, to Who doesn't want that. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, and I can describe yeah. it from my own perspective, but there's this really cool concept called oceanic boundlessness to describe this term of feeling that greater sense of connection and, um, it's a Freudian, it's a term that Freud and a French mystic coined um, to, to describe that deeper connection, uh, unrelated to psychedelics. But when you're on psychedelics, we have this concept of oceanic boundlessness, where instead of being so focused on ourselves, we feel connected to the universe at large, or it could be to nature, or it could be um, just to something greater. And then, you know, you also mentioned by reading that quote, that sort of like, um, that time is it's just a false construct, right? You know, um, we get that sense too with that oceanic boundlessness. And so you, you can almost visualize uh, your whole life as not necessarily a linear thing, but as where you could bend upon time itself and visit the past or circle back to the future. And I think that all relates back to how we understand death. That like, so death, yeah, it feels like it's permanent ending, but essentially, it's not. We're all connected in some way, in a greater way than just like thinking about our physical lives on Earth. And I'm not trying to get all philosophical or like into religion or anything like that. It's just this really cool feeling that can happen when you're on a psychedelic. So I think that that can help lessen the fear of transitioning to death or um, or for caregivers, that idea, that concept of that we're going to lose someone and we have this sor deep sorrow and grief. Instead, it can help us really celebrate who that person is and ease that transition for us as well as caregivers. As someone with a mother who has advanced dementia, I can say, Bye -bye. yeah, thank you. I can say that mm. um, experiencing any of the things you're talking about for me as her family, for her, for her caregivers, when I see how sad they are when they have had a resident pass, um, would be a kind and compassionate thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's take more of that, please. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it helped me a lot. Um, you know, I'm facing, my parents are aging. They've had health problems. I know I'm going to lose them at some point in time. So when I did my psilocybin journey, this was something that my brain wanted me to focus on, even though I didn't really want to focus on it. Um, but I was able to look at this sort of like future trauma um, is what I'm going to call it, sort of a weird way of describing it, but it's a future trauma. I know I'm going to face it. And it gave me a new perspective on it. Before I used to think after they die, I'm just going to have this unending wall of grief and I'll never be happy again. And life will just be a dark black hole, right? And it was an erroneous way of thinking. Yes, Yes, I'm going to go through a lot of grief and sorrow and that's okay, part of life. And, but on the other side, I'm going to be okay. And so facing that during my psilocybin journey was really powerful for me in terms of lessening the anxiety that I have about eventually losing them. And then, you know, I was just describing that oceanic boundlessness. One of the things I really felt on my journey was this connection to all the people that I know and love, almost like as if I was connected by threads of light to them and they were sending love to me and I was sending love back out to them. And, you know, I think a lot of times we, we know we have a support system in this life to really feel that in your body was one of the most profound things I've ever experienced. And so it really changed my perspective in knowing that, yes, when I face this future trauma, I have people I can lean on in, in a really solid way to help me get through it. I have to walk through it on my own in terms of my own grief, but you know, I'm not alone in this world. And that's a really powerful thing to know. I would say, I would say, and and I just have to say, when you were describing how you felt about the sort of impending uh, loss of your parents at some point, that sort of uh, endless darkness, I was like, it's a very Gen X way to describe it. Like it really very <laughs> yes. much is. And, and I get it. I had those moments myself prior to my father passing and my mom being sick. And, and I remember how uh, devastating and anxiety laden it made me as someone who's sure. very close to parents, right? And yeah. I think um, how, how could we have an option that's kinder, that's going to bring in more kindness, that's going to help us understand that grief um, that we will experience, even if it's sort of to prepare as best you can. And you're saying there is uh, there is evidence that psilocybin can really help with that. Absolutely. And I just see so much potential there. So it's, it's brilliant. It's magical, right? Yes, extraordinary. Okay, this is a podcast about, uh, about menopause. So uh, what I would like, and perimenopause, which lasts from, you know, 35 to 55, sometimes up to 60 for some women. So in that time, we can have a cluster of things that go sideways, especially related (laughs) to our women's health. Yes. And you have some expertise and experience with this. I do. Tell us, please. Tell us, please. So I'm currently, uh, just to give you context for my age and everything, I'm 45 and I'm definitely in the the middle, somewhere in the middle of perimenopause, you know, so I'm right there. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't have this concept of what menopause is. It's kind of like a blip on the map, right? You're, um, when you hit menopause, it's because you've had (laughs) an absence of a period for I wish a year, you know, you know, but I I I don't mean that it's like a blip for, for the conditions or the symptoms that we face. Cause that's that a lot of that happens in perimenopause, but I think there's this misconception that menopause is this long time, but it's perimenopause. That's the long thing, which you were just describing. 
That's and then right. after you hit menopause, you're, um, you know, you're in postmenopause, you know, yeah. but yeah, I do see a lot of potential for psilocybin to help with that, with these, with the symptoms that we often face, you know, for one, um, one of the, one of the main symptoms of menopause or perimenopause can be depression, like a new depression that you've never felt before. And the first thing that'll happen if you go to your doctor and say, I'm depressed and you're in your, you know, middle age time, they'll give you a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which is an, a common antidepressant. And there's nothing wrong with those medications. I have used them in the past. They're great and they can be really helpful, but there are alternatives. And I do have a concern about someone just being, just being thrown on an SSRI without trying other methods first. So for life, when, this is what happens. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, um, you know, an SSRI by nature, how it works is that it blunts your mood, right? But not only does it blunt your lows, which we're aiming for, it also blunts your highs. So you're not able as, as, as able to lean into joy as much. That's one concern I have with SSRIs. The other one, especially in perimenopause, is that it can exacerbate other symptoms of perimenopause, such as low libido or sexual dysfunction. So um, a lot of times people are taking an SSRI and then to, to combat one symptom, but they're exacerbating another. You, you know, you do have to take SSRIs daily. Um, to, that's how they work. You know, if you don't take them, they won't work. Um, with psilocybin, you don't have to do that. You know, you can do a macro dose once a year, once every six months, and still have really some of these beneficial effects against uh, depression, especially major depression. And but let, one of the things that can oh, I sorry, pause you right there? Yeah. I, let's talk about the dosing real quickly so that people yes. understand how what when you're saying macro versus micro, we actually haven't talked about micro, we haven't talked about hero either. But can you break it oh, down for sure. us, please? Okay, I will. Yeah, I just wanted to finish what I was saying, because um, please psilocybin do. will, um, instead of blunting your mood, like we have with SSRIs, psilocybin will actually, we've learned through research, it actually makes you feel more okay with your highs and lows, which is a really, really cool thing. But yes, talking about dosage, that's actually really important because I'm throwing out terms that people may not be familiar with. So um, so we've got microdosing, we've got macrodosing, and then we've got heroic doses. There are other names for doses along the way, but I'll just describe what these are. And I'm going to start with the macro dose, even, even though that's sort of the middle, middle range dose, um, because I think it's the one that mo- is most commonly what people are doing. So a macro dose is going to be the the dosage that people are giving in clinical trials. It's usually used for psychedelic assisted therapy. So any sort of therapeutic experience, but you are still going to be tripping essentially. And so that's about, um, you know, you can think of that as being from like 2.5 to 3.5 grams would be a macro dose. Um, and, you know, again, you're going to have those classic trippy effects that we see, um, like visuals and geometric patterns, um, different things going on in the body. Um, a lot of these brain things that I was the neurobiology that I was already describing would be happening. Um, a heroic dose is going to be something over like five grams. And that's for experienced psychonauts. Like if you have never tried psilocybin before, you do not want to do a heroic dose on your first on your first go. I mean, it does happen for lots of people that way because they don't know what they're doing. But um, but yeah, you don't want to go above, you don't want to do that five gram as your first dose. Go slow and start low. You know, that's kind of the phrasing. Uh, a micro dose, on the other hand, is completely different. So that's something like a tenth of a gram. And so when you're on a micro dose, you're not going to be tripping. Um, you would be safe to drive. You, you wouldn't really be like feeling psychedelic effects, although maybe a little bit in the background in terms of 
you would have uh, gained some focus, perhaps less anxiety, just kind of a, a sense of calm and more focus. That can be what happens on a microdose. But again, you're perfectly fine to drive and go do things as long as you're taking a legit microdose of like, you know, a tenth of a gram, essentially. So that just kind of helps explain those different dosages. But, um, but my point is that you could do a macro dose. So like psychedelic assisted therapy once um, a year, maybe twice a year, and have some of those really beneficial effects on depression. Whereas with if you think about an SSRI, you're taking an SSRI every day, and then exacerbating other side effects of um, of perimenopause, but psilocybin doesn't exacerbate any of those effects. Like it doesn't cause low libido, uh, all of that. So I think that that's something to consider. Um, Quite the and, opposite, I find more like high yeah, libido, which is very nice for libido. women in midlife. Let's talk yeah, about that. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Let's talk about that. So, um, so with so obviously sexual dysfunction is something that can crop up for people in perimenopause. I mean, it can crop up at any point in time in your life. But um, it's it's definitely definitely more prevalent in menopause, in perimenopause and menopause. And sort of the the statistics on that is that forty percent, forty to forty five percent of people assigned female at birth will have some type of sexual dysfunction in their reproductive years. In menopause, that goes or and perimenopause, that goes up to 80, 85%. So it's it's doubles essentially um, when we get up when we get up there in, in perimenopause and menopause. And um, there are two things that are protective against female sexual dysfunction. One is having a positive body image and the other is having good intimate partner communication. And psilocybin can facilitate both of these. And we know this through scientific research already. So um, what, what psilocybin can help with in terms of body image, we've looked at clinical trials for anorexia nervosa with psilocybin. So anorexia, of course, is an eating disorder is one of the most common, commonly talked about, even though we have like 11, something like 11 types of different eating disorders. But psilocybin is being studied for anorexia. And we're getting really promising results out of that in terms of helping with body image. Researchers think that when an eating disorder is present, there's some rigidity in a part of the brain called the angular gyrus. And this can help lessen some of that rigid rigidity of psilocybin can help lessen some of that rigidity and, um, and then help change some of our in what's called interoceptive awareness, which is our like internal states, awareness of the internal states of our body, but it's also concerned with our, how we perceive our bodies. So if we have body dysmorphia, that would be some rigidity in the angular gyrus going on. So, so again, psilocybin may be able to help with body image. And then also it may, um, it, it may help facilitate intimate partner communication. So I've certainly heard stories of couples um, using psilocybin together and then gaining a better like connection or better understanding of each other and that helping in the bedroom. However, um, I don't think it's necessary that you do psilocybin with your partner. So for example, I went off and did psilocybin on my own without my partner present. I had my own like personalized journey and, um, you know, he just stayed at home and sat on the porch. <laughs> so, you know, he wasn't doing anything crazy or like, you know, whatsoever, but I came back and I felt exponentially more connected to him, even though he hadn't changed, I had changed, you know? And um, I wasn't necessarily dealing with female sexual dysfunction, but it definitely changed my connection to him. And um, it was like walls came down. And so I could see that how helping with someone who is dealing with some female sexual dysfunction, bringing down some of those walls can help sort of just, you know, relax you, keep you calm in the bedroom. 
and perhaps just help with any sort of sexual dysfunction that you might be experiencing. I did talk to a neuroscientist when I was doing, when I was writing the book, um, her name is Dr. Michelle Ross. And she mentioned that, um, you know, psilocybin may boost that, that body confidence, but also just, you know, confidence in general, and then help you communicate better in the bedroom with your partner if needed, if that's something that's needed. So I see a lot of potential there for it to help with uh, female sexual dysfunction. Now, I don't necessarily see it as like some sort of classic aphrodisiac or anything like that, like we think of oysters or whatever, but but it definitely could help change the way that you interact in the bedroom, you know, if does that make sense? It does. And I love what you said about walls coming down. That is like an excellent way to describe my own experience with psilocybin was just uh, very much like that. It was like when you have a when you have a connection to the bigger, the bigger picture, yeah, you don't you don't have such a death grip on all of the things that prevent you psychologically from having freedom sexually in in your in your partnership, right? Or Absolutely. you know, not even in your partnership, right? Even with yourself, so you don't have that death grip on. I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm too not this. I'm too not sexy. I'm too submissive. I'm too, you know, all of those things that kind of we right. get tangled in. Which the brain of course, spin. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's, and, and because the brain is absolutely the, the primary sex organ for women. Um, by the way, that little nugget that you shared about interoception and stuff, this like, we're talking about brain and mushroom guys. This is like foreplay for me. How are you doing? <laughs> It totally is. I'm, I'm feeling it's, it. <laughs> Getting all hot and bothered. Honestly, it's so sexy to talk about these things. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to have to tell my husband that. I'm, like, I'm actually red. If you can see me, I'm actually red. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Yes, you are. I am. Yourself I, I know, right? It's not a hot flash, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Mine might be. Yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. But I love it. I love it. And and, and what you said about the, it's, it's, is it the boosting of the confidence or is that we drop the shit and we can just go and be the free, the free spirit that we were born to be essentially? Yeah, I think, I think it's a lot of, it's a, probably a bit of both, but that dropping of the walls um, has been really key for me in all facets of my life because you know, I think that greater connection that I was describing that I feel with my husband, it's like, maybe I was holding up a wall there and trying not to be so vulnerable with my partner all the time. And so I put up a wall to protect myself. And now those walls are gone. I in the book, I referenced like the, that it was like the Kool-Aid man coming in and yes. crashing through all the walls. I like, love oh, that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. But it's not, it's not even just, uh, first thing I want to just make mention of something you said earlier. Uh, this is one of my favorite aspects of uh, psilocybin in particular. Uh, I can speak about that from personal experience. I can sort of speak academically about the other psychedelics, which would be, there's a bunch of them, but MDMA, LSD, um, ayahuasca, ayahuasca, <laughs> um, ibogaine, is it ibogaine or ibogaine? Uh, yeah, I think it's ibogaine, but ibogaine. I never know. <laughs> yes. The the bros are talking about that one right now. So if you right. want to know more about that, go over to Huberman's lab podcast, yeah. Tim Ferriss. Those guys are all talking about that. Rogan. Yes. Let's not yes. forget about him. Yeah. They're all talking about that right now. So it's like a bro thing right now. So which, which means, I, I don't know, like for me, when I hear that kind of thing, or, you know, why are we gendering these things? That's my silly old brain. But, um, you know, I think psilocybin is like the ultimate representation of mother nature and mother earth. Oh, yeah. 
It is, you know, um, if you've watched any mushroom documentaries, just in general, not necessarily related to magic mushrooms, but um, fungi in general is, uh, it, it creates what's called this mycelium network and then a greater mycorrhizal network. So if we think about a forest, we've got all this this root connection of uh, fungi connecting one tree on way one way end of the forest with another tree, and this network sends nutrients back and forth. So if you've got a tree in the north section of the forest that's like depleted of, of nutrients, this mycelium network can pull nutrients from something on the south end and send it to the north end of the forest, which is sort Amazing. of a, a I mean, it's my wonky way of describing it. But I think about that in terms of women and like our femininity and our, our connection. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a, a group of female friends, there's four of us. And I think of us constantly doing that with each other. Like, um, you know, one friend, her father just died. And I feel like we're, even though it's just in a text thread, we're sending this, these nutrients to her, this, these love nutrients. And so it's like women create our own sort of mycelium and mycorrhizal network. And so I love that analogy between, um, you know, fungi and then thinking about the way that women are so nurturing to each other, at least in, in my opinion. I mean, I know that there are times when women are not nurturing to each other, but when you do have a very nurturing space, that that's what it feels like to me. Well, and I think the times we aren't nurturing to each other, I mean, when I was a kid, it was glamorous to be bitchy to other women. Like there was TV shows that, 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 right. uh, that made a big deal of that and made lots of money doing that. But uh, we're coming back. It's I, I personally, it's the age of Aquarius stuff. It's returning to the mother. It's, <laughs> it's all of those great things. Now, correct yes. me if I'm wrong, but is there not, isn't it the largest plant on the planet is a mycelium network in Oregon state? Oh, you might be right. I'm not sure. Hundreds Um, of hectares large. Like it's the largest, it's the largest organic uh, item. And I believe this is, I mean, this is like Paul Stamets would be talking about this. He's kind of like the, uh, he's sort of the OG psychonaut, isn't he? Yeah, (laughs) sure. Absolutely. Definitely. The mushroom guy anyways. Yeah. But um, I, 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 I just, there's so many juicy tidbits in this conversation that I want to pick up, but I do want to spend some time talking about the women's uh, sort of menstrual disorders and your experience with the mushrooms. And you you did talk about having your own diagnosis of endometriosis. You said, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I would love to get into that. I did want to go circle back to the menopause talk just for a second. Yes. Um, one of the things that we didn't get a chance to cover is that um, w- one thing that I don't think many people realize is that if you've had adverse childhood experiences in your life, that can exacerbate your menopause symptoms. And that sounds crazy. Like how can something in childhood exacerbate like your hot flashes? Um, but it makes sense. So adverse childhood experiences are things that happen in childhood that were traumatic. So um, it could be, a, a, you know, violent or, you know, violence in the home or um, abuse, neglect, um, a, a traumatic divorce, living through systemic Uh, racism in your community, poverty, all of these things can be traumatic and it changes your stress response physically in your body. And that's lasting. So um, that change, that altered stress response can affect our menopause symptoms. And to just put this in context, uh, it's something like um, um, one in six adults. Yeah, this is correct. One in six adults have had four or more adverse childhood experiences. And if you've had four or more adverse childhood experiences, you're more likely to have worsened menopause symptoms. It's just this weird bit of science. So I just wanted to share that. 
But yes, digging into the menstrual cycle, which is one of my favorite things to talk about in relation to psilocybin, which sounds a little weird, but I see a lot of potential for psilocybin to help with uh, issues related to the menstrual cycle. So what we're learning through research right now, and all we have right now are case studies and anecdotal reports. So we definitely need more research on this. But Johns Hopkins, there's some great um, women scientists. And I, I don't mean to say, oh, they're women scientists. I just am pointing out that, yes, women are the ones studying this because no one else is. So um, Dr. Natalie Gukasian and Dr. Sasha K. Narayan are studying this, but they did some case studies to see how psilocybin potentially affects the menstrual cycle. And they've learned three, three things that, that might be possibly happening. One is that, uh, that likely if you do a macro dose, your period might come a little early. So I just like to make people aware of that. Um, number two is that if you've had a, um, an absence of a period for a while, not related to menopause, but, um, but in, in your reproductive years, which of course can happen for multiple reasons like stress or whatever, but it may return. And then the third thing is if you, um, so your period may return if you've had a, an absence of a period for a while, and then it may re-regulate your menstrual cycle. So psilocybin may bring regulation back to your cycle if you've had a time of irregularity and irregularities can happen for a number of you know, reasons and conditions as well. So this is super fascinating and I'm excited that you know people are studying this and I hope they continue to study it because I see a lot of potential for um, things like polycystic ovary syndrome, uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, even endometriosis, even though that's not uh, what we consider like a classic menstrual cycle disorder or anything like that. Um, it, it's just related to the menstrual cycle. But um, but yeah, so a lot of potential there. And the, the mechanisms of action are sort of fascinating to me. So our cycles occur along what's called the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, meaning our brains are essentially talking to our ovaries. And when one hormone kicks off, it tells another hormone what to do in this feedback loop. And that's why we have our, our uh, follicular phase followed by ovulation, then the, the luteal phase, and then we get our period. Um, that's the trajectory of the menstrual cycle. And it starts all over again, right? Um, but uh, we also have another axis in our bodies called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And so this axis is involved in our stress response. And when we take psilocybin, we are activating our serotonin receptors and it's working along that HPA axis. But by their names, you can tell that these axes overlap. So we've got with the with the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland, you've got your HPG axis and your HPA axis. They overlap. And we know just in general life that these these axes interact with each other. If we get stressed out, that may um, we may skip a period or um, if we are on our periods, we might be more stressed out. It's just is the way that it works. So these overlap. So researchers are saying it's not a stretch to assume that. Um, that psilocybin may affect your menstrual cycle or vice versa, that where you are in your period may, I mean, in your menstrual cycle may affect your journey. Um, and that's simply having to do with some of the things that are going on with, with our hormones. That's fascinating. Well, we know that uh, different times of a period or different times of the menstrual cycle, women are more likely to have physical injuries if we take a concussion uh, uh, or a head injury during uh, certain uh, phases of the cycle, we can have a more severe experience or a lesser or more healing experience. So, uh, or Absolutely. Heal. so it's not surprising to hear that at all, but do tell. <laughs> when is the best time to take 
a micro, a macro, or maybe even a hero. Let's not talk hero, okay? Let's that's yeah, the we'll advanced hero. Um, yeah, I don't want any, yeah. anyone diving into that if they're new no. to psychedelics. <laughs> but um, I mean, it's it's nothing to be afraid of. It's just more you want to gain the experience first of a, a of a smaller <laughs> session first. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I did. I brought in an an, an indigenous wisdom expert to um, ask some questions about this, and I was really fascinated because what she shared actually meshed really well with science and, um, you know, just a little bit of background. So indigenous communities have been using psilocybin for, you know, thousands of years, however long they've been using way longer than like someone like me, a white, white woman in the US has been using psilocybin. And so, um, so they have, we think of science as this process of doing something over and over again to reproduce the same results, but that's exactly what indigenous communities have done. So I brought in an indigenous, an indigenous wisdom expert to help me sort of understand where in the cycle it would make the best sense to do a macro dose. And her name is Michaela De La Maico. She goes by Mama De La Maico on Instagram. And she practices um, what she calls mushroom consciousness, which I just love because love the name. She works with, with people in, in with plant medicine to help sort of regulate menstrual cycles and do other, you know, womb care aspects. And I like to enunciate womb care because I had a male journalist misquote me and he wrote wound care in an article. Well, yes, sometimes the uterus feels like a wound. (laughs) But anyway, how very, how very male. I know how very male of him, right? Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. I've been telling this joke on every single podcast. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, uh, with with Mama De La Maico or Michaela De La Maico, she recommended doing a macro dose when you're closer to ovulation rather than when you get closer to your period. So in indigenous communities, they don't allow people to partake in, in mushroom ceremonies if they are on their menstrual cycle. And so that's something that's really important to honor if you are going to a retreat in an indigenous indigenous community working with an, an indigenous practitioner. Um, but but this all makes sense from a really you know scientific perspective as well. So um, doing a mushroom journey can be very depleting on the body, meaning like energy depleting. And as we get into closer to our menstrual cycles in that luteal phase, our bodies have less energy available to us. Um, so a lot of people tend to fast before a psilocybin journey. It might be just a few hours or it could be a few days. That would be really hard to do when you're in that late luteal phase but you have more energy available to you in your body during the um, the ovulation time, as opposed to, you know, getting closer to your menstrual cycle. And of course, this is all why we end up having cravings as we get closer to our periods. But what's happening in the body from a scientific perspective is in that luteal phase, we actually become insulin resistant. So this all has to do with what, the way that we process glucose and, um, and, you know, how insulin works on our cells and all of that. And, um, and that changes in the luteal phase because of the fact that all the, like all the energy in the body is being sent to the womb, you know, um, for a potential baby. But, um, when we're at ovulation, that's not quite happening yet. So it's, it's much more accessible to journey on a macro dose during that ovulation time. And then as far as microdoses go, um, so microdosing, you typically follow a protocol. So there are several different protocols. There's the Stamets stack, you mentioned Paul Stamets, mm-hmm. and then there's the Fatiman protocol. And I mentioned both of those in the book and give the logistics for those uh, with, with um, you know, uh, a call out for more information if you need it. But um, you follow a protocol and these protocols are typically like you might do um, every other day of microdosing or it's like four days on four days off. You'd follow that protocol for like a few weeks and then you take a break and then you start up again. 
so my point with the menstrual cycle, and this is this is information coming from uh, Michaela De La Maico, she said that if you are planning to microdose to see how that affects your menstrual cycle, to do that for three months. So follow whatever protocol you're going to follow and follow all the breaks in the protocol, um, but follow it for three months to see how that how that works with your menstrual cycle and keep track of it. Maybe like, you know, journal or, um, you know, a phone app that you track your, your period with keep track of what you're experiencing, if any symptoms are changing. And that will help you to know if whatever protocol you're following and the microdose plan that you're going on is actually working for your menstrual cycle or helping you in any way. And then if it's not, you can readjust. You might follow a different protocol or something like that, or you might decide microdosing is not for you, or you might decide that it is, you know, um, but it's just that you need to follow it for three months to see uh, how that affects your cycle. Cause it just takes that long to, to gain results essentially. I mean, you might have results right away, but if you aren't having them, just give it more time. Oh, fascinating. Well, and I think the thing to take away, and, and you you touched on this earlier, is that, you know, unlike a pharmaceutical, when you're using the plant medicine, in this case, we're talking about psilocybin, um, you don't have to follow like a every single day you take this kind of thing. I have right. dear loved ones who use uh, microdose psilocybin to keep uh, depression under control, and they literally take one dose a month. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) It's a tiny amount we're talking about here. And so, of course, just to remind the listeners, a micro dose is a tenth of Mm -hmm. a macro dose uh, or like minimal macro dose. If it's one gram, then um, micro dose is 100 milligrams. So and that's certainly what I uh, recommend in office when someone has chronic pain. Uh, But again, it's that having awareness that you don't just take the capsule and um, continue to take it for the rest of your life. That's not how this works. Oh, yeah. This speaks to a section in the book, and we're talking about the psilocybin handbook for women, which Jennifer wrote. Here it is. Match it. To those of you who see the video, I matched my lipstick to the book today. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Beautiful. Yes, thank you. Um, You talk about set and setting, and I love the way you spoke. It's one of my favorite concepts around using uh, magic mushrooms uh, for for a number of reasons, but it's being aware essentially of number one, let's not, I mean, we come from this culture that's just like, you know, chuck a tampon in and forget it. But is that really, are you really getting the, the, the experience of a menstrual period? Now, sometimes it's, it's fraught for women. So I get it, right. You just want to forget that it's even there, but the commercials will tell us we can, ride a horseback and play tennis with little tiny white <laughs> shorts on when, well, we've got a tiny yes. little sports tampon in whatever the hell that is. Anyways, what was right. I talking about? Oh yes. Right. Set and setting. But, but I love the, that you're saying like, come at it. And, and you did interview somebody for this. So you'll, you'll know who I'm talking about, but um, cause her name is uh, escaping me, but um, you know, what is the light intention you wish for the experience of taking the capsule? And then are you in an environment that feels safe and nourishing to you? You don't just chuck it in and forget about it. Let's talk about yeah. that, please. Yeah, absolutely. So you described that really well. So set and setting. Set is your mindset. Setting is what your environment is when you're going into a journey. And so in talking about that mindset, 
uh, I think that there had been sort of this concept that we must set an intention before going into a psilocybin journey, or it's similar to how if you take a yoga class, you set an intention at the start. And that might be like to work on something specific or whatever. But with, um, with psilocybin, the, the two women that I interviewed who are experts in using psilocybin would be uh, Michelle Pribic and I'm sorry, I said that wrong, Lana Pribic. She's with the Modern Psychedelics podcast. And then, um, and then Michelle Janicki, and she wrote the Psilocybin Mushroom Companion, I believe, another book um, with my same publishers, so she's great. But, um, but I talked to them and what they recommended is instead of instead of setting like this, this specific intention of like, I need to work on this thing for myself, be open-minded to let the to let the mushroom take you where it needs to take you. And it's really just working on what's already in your brain, what's in your subconscious and what you really need to work on. So um, be aware though, that when it starts to take you somewhere like that feels like trauma, um, even though we have that helioscope effect in place when we're on a psychedelic, you may, your, your instinct is going to be to resist looking at that trauma. And that's when some anxiety can typically crop up during a psilocybin journey. You might be like trucking along, having a good time. The trees are real pretty and you're feeling euphoric. And all of a sudden the mushroom's like, hey, we need to work on your trauma, lady. And so um, it might take you to a place that you're like, no, hell no, absolutely not. Unsubscribe, you know, and that definitely happened to me. But if you can stop putting up that resistance and just go with the flow of the journey, you you will that that anxiety will go away and you'll be able to look at that trauma in a really safe way again with that helioscope effect in place. And there will likely be a reward on the other side. So for me, going through that like experience of thinking about my parents' death, I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to think about it. I did. I sat with it. On the other side, I felt the most peace and euphoria I've ever felt in knowing that I will be okay. So a lot of people, even if they have a quote unquote, a bad trip, and we're trying to change the language around that to be a challenging trip instead, or you might just go through a challenging section. Um, you know, if that happens to you, just sit with it try to remain calm, try to tap into the things that typically calm you, and you'll you'll likely be okay. And there might be a reward on the other side. A lot of people in, um, in survey that you know, psychedelic research surveys, say that even if they've had a difficult experience or a challenging trip, that it still ranks up there as one of the most profound experiences of their lives. And that's definitely true for me. Again, I went through like about a 10 minute section there where I was like, oh no, um, where like the couch next to me or that I was sitting on was like breathing. And I was like, no. <laughs> so, you know, things like that do happen, but just relax into it. So that mindset is really important. And the main thing, the main takeaway there is really just try to remain calm if something crops up and just be open to the experience. And then with, because the thing is, if you set an intention that's very specific, you might get caught in like this thought spiral, you know, and I don't want that to scare anyone. I'm just like trying to remind you to be as open to the experience as possible. Now, the setting is really your environment. Like, where are you? Are you inside? Are you outside? Are you in a place that you feel really comfortable? Are you at a rave and it's like, and you're like overstimulated? That might not be the best way to go about doing psychedelics unless you're a little bit more experienced with it. Um, and, and we also have something called a museum dose. And that is for like being out in public. So you can think of that as maybe like one gram um, where you're, you're like slightly 0.75 to one gram. You're slightly having some psychedelic effects, but you're not like full on tripping your balls off or anything, you know? So I love that term, the museum dose. <laughs> Great 
term. I have never heard that before. I love it. Yeah, it's fun. Um, but yeah, so that setting is really important too, because you do want to be, if you're doing a therapeutic experience, you want to be in a place that you feel really calm and safe. And you want the people around you, if there are people around you to be people that are very safe for you, because you are in a very vulnerable place and you're open to suggestibility. Hence that rebus model that I was describing that relaxed beliefs under psychedelics, you are open to suggestibility on a psychedelic. And so I have a whole section in the book about consent in psilocybin sessions. And what I mean by that is, so if you're, if you're working with like a, a guide or a therapist or um, other, another practitioner, obviously sexual touch should be completely off the table, but your guide may say, Hey, are you comfortable with like me holding your hand if something difficult comes up and you can say no to any sort of touch like that, but that's a conversation that needs to be had when you're sober, like asking your guide should be talking to you about the types of touch, like the therapeutic touch that you might be okay with or not okay with. That's a conversation outside of psychedelics, but this all relates back to setting just because I want you to be really safe about who's around you because there have been instances of sexual assault in the psychedelic industry. And, you know, that's not to diss the psychedelic industry. It have sexual assault happens in every industry. So it's not a surprise that it's happening in psychedelics, but I just want to make people aware that you are open to that suggestibility. And so your setting is really important, but it's also really important for your, your, your mindset, because if you're in, like I said, if you're in a place where it's like, and you might get overstimulated and have a very negative experience. Whereas if you're in a very calm setting in your like apartment where you've got all your yoga poofs and whatnot, mm -hmm. your special blankets, yep. you're going to feel a little safer and calmer. Yes. Yes. My own experience with microdosing has been on a Sunday morning when I'm at home and I got nothing but the laundry and football. Like that's it. Yeah. <laughs> My husband's in the house. Right. So yeah. obviously like, like just a gentle experience, nothing's expected of me. I can just let it be what it needs to be. But to go back yes. to set set for a second, uh, this is a, a question I get asked commonly in the office when I'm talking about this or uh, is, is, you know, how do I, okay, so I just, I just take it at bedtime and then go to sleep and, 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 or if I'm having a bad day, I take, no, this is not how you do microdose. No, no, bueno. no, bueno. you just, yeah. it, it's not too real. It's not like taking a pain reliever. Like you don't no. take it like that. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's helpful to follow a protocol and then I would avoid actually taking it at night because uh, psilocybin is slightly stimulating in a microdose. I mean, in a macrodose, but uh, less or so with a microdose. But um, if you have any issues with sleep, which most of us have some issue, um, absolutely. The the I envy those people that are just like you know all the time. But <laughs> me too. that's not me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's some slight elevation of blood pressure and heart rate, and so um, you know certainly be mind like uh, it's it's a reason to um, stop and think about you know, using any sort of psilocybin, if you do have a heart condition, I just want to point that out as a safety caveat, talk to a medical professional if it's safe for you to do that. But, um, but, you know, just to note that that elevation of heart rate and blood pressure might keep you awake if you were to microdose at night. So I recommend microdosing in the morning. Um, and then which feels a little weird, because you're like, Oh, hey, I have to take this, I'm taking this substance um, that is, you know, largely illegal yet. <laughs> and like going about my day. And then it's like, well, a microdose really doesn't make you high or anything like that. So just be aware of that. But you don't want to take it at night, most likely, because it may keep you awake. 
And you do generally want to follow a protocol, at least for a while to see how that works for you, because these protocols are designed to work with microdosing and help you with symptoms and issues that are cropping up. If you're just taking it willy nilly, you don't, you know, you're not really gaining a perspective on how it's helping you. Now, all that being said, you know, after you've practiced a protocol for a while, you may know yourself well enough to just take it as needed. So something like, oh, Wednesday, I'm feeling a little bit more anxious and I'm going to microdose today. And then you don't necessarily have to follow a protocol, but it's helpful to follow that protocol initially to see how those things work for you. Well, and I think it's an invitation to, to tune in inwards. Like you said, you talked about interoception. It's, it's for our generation in particular, we very much have been told like, just, you know, don't listen to the body. It's all about the thinking. We have this very masculine approach to health, which is, you know, very intellectual, but actually a woman's body and our intuition is our connection to the earth. It's the, all the information we need. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if women want to try the experience of uh, psilocybin or magic mushrooms, what do you recommend? Yeah. I mean, it's a hard question to answer simply because um, we do have this sort of patchwork of legality. um, And I don't know all the laws in Canada where you are yet, but, um, but in the U S it's broadly illegal. Psilocybin is still broadly illegal federally. Um, Certain states have enacted legislation making psilocybin legal in certain contexts. So like in, in Oregon, it's um, I think it's decriminalized in general, but um, for legal use uh, it's um, you know, legal for psychedelic assisted therapy. So in that context. So just to give you an example that there's there's a patchwork of legality in terms of is it decriminalized, meaning police aren't really prosecuting um, psilocybin use, or is it like, are there legal uh, applications in place? And so really, we've got Oregon and Denver, and then a few other like um, municipalities and that have done some different legislation and state States are currently enacting a bunch of different legislation and elsewhere, but um, that's all still in process. But um, that, so the, to answer that question of like, how do you go about doing a journey can be complicated. So um, yes, you could go to one of the states where, or cities where we've got legality or decriminalization, um, or you could go on a retreat out of the country. So like Mexico often has retreats. I think Jamaica, there are you know, different places where it's decriminalized and retreat facilitators are able to facilitate. Um, the other thing that you can do, and this is what I did, is I hired an underground guide and um, and then met him at a cabin in the woods, which sounds really crazy. But I did my research on who he was and and uh, everything, and I mentioned him in the in the book if anyone wants to reach out. But um, but you can find underground guides. I just recommend people research extensively before working with anyone, whether that's a you know a therapist or a guide or a retreat. Do your research, read reviews on the person or people, uh, and make sure it's something that you feel really safe doing. Um, so, so yeah, that's the hard question okay. to answer, but I tried. <laughs> yeah, no, you did a great job. It's a legal uh, gray zone in Canada right now. So okay. it's not being prosecuted. It's not, you know, it's not uh, because we have legal cannabis here. It, yeah. um, I have a, a friend who works in a cannabis shop and he tells me that five or six times a day when he's working, he'll get asked if there's magic mushrooms available. So people are becoming very, very aware of, of the possibility of how, um, 
helpful. Let's say the, the psilocybin can be for us. And that's great. It's great news. Um, there are sources for it. I'm speaking, what I know is here in Canada. So there are sources for it, but, uh, rather than me just sharing, what I'd like to say is ask your peeps, because yeah. chances are someone in your friend group is already macro dosing and ha- or sorry, micro dosing and has been for a while. Right. Yeah. yeah. You you can usually find someone who has a resource that you can reach yes. out to. Um, for safety reasons, I always recommend that people test any substance that they receive through there's uh, so dance safe is a place where you can order test kits, test your product, make sure you're not getting anything that you don't want in your product, that sort of thing. And that's that goes that goes for really any substance that you're taking. And that's a great suggestion too, because we know what we know for sure is that mushrooms uh, are vast. There are many, many different kinds of mushrooms and there are some that are quite toxic. So you want to make sure (laughs) that you're not getting anything like that. That's why it's not a good idea to just go out and forage for your own. Yeah. I don't recommend that because there are some mushrooms that you take once and you're gone. (laughs) You're tits up in the rhubarb. (laughs) You get one shot with that one. Yeah, not good. Exactly. Not good. So, so please just do your research. As Jennifer mm-hmm. has said to us, just with all of this, there's so much information right now available uh, about um, psychedelics and their uh, potentiality. In uh, I love the term psychological flexibility. By the way, that's just one of my because <laughs> who doesn't need that? I we certainly... all need psychological flexibility. Oh. Why? Like we just get, we get this story suction cupped onto our faces. And, and again, there's that rigidity that you talked about, like, and the default mode network is involved in this. And I, I think this is probably my favorite thing about the psilocybin is that it allows us to sort of disconnect from that, those stories that are, that are, what did you call it? There's something, uh, ego, something. Yes. Ego death. Ego death. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Which is kind of a grim way to say it, but. Right. uh, (laughs) I mean, it's never going to be completely gone. Let's put it that way. So, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It'll still be there. Yeah. It will. The safety stuff will be there to take care of you because that's just yeah. hardwired into the central nervous system. But um, it's a, it's a fascinating conversation. I feel so much better educated because of this amazing book that you wrote, thank the you. Psilocybin Handbook for Women. Yes. Thank you. And by the way, I did hear about you through the moms on mushrooms group the oh, mom group <laughs> i love tracy t she's fabulous yes moms on mushrooms is this great organization it's really a community of moms of course and they are on mushrooms and you can learn about more about mushrooms through that organization they do a lot of educational components gatherings and things like that and some of that's online some of it's in person and i just think it's such a great organization to help reduce the stigma for moms who are interested in uh using mushrooms because there's there's some parenting context there. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'd say, well, if we're going to call the mushrooms the great mother or or an element of the great mother that we get to interact with, then uh, why not? And I think uh, Moms on Mushrooms, they have there's a membership that you can join for a low cost. And it's really informative. So if you want to know more about this, um, please pick up Jennifer's book. It's amazing. It's a great read. I told her before we started the recording that there's parts of it that read like a novel, right? Like my husband came (laughs) and I was reading like, go away. I'm busy. (laughs) I'm busy. I'm into it. 
So please uh, uh, buy the book and and read uh, read through it. I think um, what we're talking about today is part of the human evolution to a kinder and more compassionate world. And you know there is a there's a bigger conversation to have. Uh, maybe we'll have it someday about. Um, how the mush, isn't it interesting that the mushroom, the mushroom information, the mushroom research and the usage is blossoming at the same time that women's health research, information, inclusion, the helpful, the helpful people appearing now around hormone therapy and all of that, you know, I think Absolutely. those, two, I don't think that's a coincidence that those two Not. things happen together pretty magical. <laughs> it is. It is indeed. I love that. Okay. Final question I ask all of my guests and I'd like to ask you today too, is this knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger self? Oh my gosh. So many things. <laughs> I have this thought all the time about thinking about how would I just tell my, what would I tell my younger self? And I think the thing that I would love to tell my younger self is you're going to be okay. And this, this is something I could tell myself right now, but it's, you know, if I could have just told my younger self that, uh, I would, I would, you know, I know I would have had a different trajectory in some way, but maybe that's the beauty of not being able to talk to ourselves is that we go through certain things and they teach us a lot of lessons and we learn from those things and then we are better people for it. And so it's not like I'm trying to throw silver linings into trauma or tragedy, but, um, but I do like to think of life that way. So yes, I would love to tell my younger self I'll be okay, just so I would know that going forward. But now I know it. So that's okay. Wow. I love that. It's very touching, actually. Thank you for saying that. So if people want to know more about you, Jennifer Chesick, where can they find you? Yes, yeah, so you can find me on any social media channel. I'm uh, at Jen Chesick. That's J-E-N-C-H-E-S-A-K. So that's my handle. I'm more, I'm most active on uh, Instagram as opposed to the other social media um, arenas. But uh, so, that, so feel free to DM me if you have questions. I always try to answer those pretty quickly. Um, I'm doing a lot of uh, obviously podcast interviews. And I also do speaking engagements where I'm coming to psychedelic clubs or um uh, uh, clinics, ketamine clinics, which are, you know, legal right now everywhere. So um, in the US anyway. So doing too. And, uh, and so if somebody wants to book me for an event, you can just reach out, send me a DM and I will, I'll get back to you and we'll figure something out. Oh, that's amazing. Listen, I've learned so much. Thank you for bringing, for being the first to bring this information to the listeners of this longtime podcast. Thank you deeply. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, so fun. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. The views and nutritional advice expressed by Dr. Fiona Lovely are not intended to be a substitute for conventional medical service. If you have or suspect that you have a medical problem, promptly contact your healthcare provider. No information offered here should be interpreted as a diagnosis of any disease, nor an attempt to treat or prevent or cure any disease or condition. As with any new advice or program, you should always contact your healthcare provider prior to starting anything new. Thank you.